0: What does barbecue mean to you? It's all about family.
1: Good food. Summertime and friends. Of nostalgia. A whole lot of tasting. Soul-filling, belly-filling goodness. All of my favorite foods. A cultural touchstone. For me, it's a tether to
0: the people who came before me. Getting together with family and friends. Hello and welcome to Eat More Barbecue Canada's Barbecue Podcast. This is episode 222 and I am your host, Brian Sanders. Thank you for tuning in, downloading and listening in, however you make that happen. I'm on the road this week out on the east coast of Canada in beautiful Prince Edward Island visiting my kid who is working as a butcher in Somerset. We had the opportunity to spend some time with this week's guest, Ranald McFarlane, who owns Pleasant Pork, one of a dwindling number of pork farms on the island. Ranald also operates a small dairy operation on his farm and as you'll notice, he's not short on character. Thank you to Ranald for taking some time to visit and for showing us some island hospitality. Be sure to give Randall the follow on Twitter at Pleasant Pork. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by the Motley Q 2022 Competition Bounty Program. For the last couple of years, Motley Q's amazing products have been winning awards in multiple sauce and seasoning contests like the best sauce on the planet. Competition barbecue cooks have also been receiving calls using Motley Q products at competitions all over the world. So this year, Big Joe and Jess are looking to add to the winning. In 2022, when you use Motley Q products and win a category or a GC, you'll get some extra jangle in your pockets. It's as simple as this. Use Motley Q products in a sanctioned competition and take some pictures or video as proof. When you win a category or GC, email Motley Q the proof and they will send you $250 as a bonus for continuing the winning. They will most likely do a post about your win, but will not share any picture or video that you don't want out there. Your secrets are safe with them. Visit motleyq.ca, that's M-O-T-L-E-Y-Q-U-E dot C-A, and click on the Barbecue Bounty Program tab at the top of the screen to get all the details. Welcome back, everybody, another episode of the podcast. And uh, we're on the road out in Fernwood, Prince Edward Island, and really uh, been having a nice visit out here at uh, Pleasant Pork with uh, Ranald McFarland. McFarland? Yep. McFarland, yeah. Uh, McFarland. Thanks for having us out here. Uh, pleasant, nice visit out here and uh, yeah, how are, you, uh, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on uh, doing this with us. Well, welcome to the People's Republic of Fernwood. Thanks for coming. <laughs> the People's Republic. Ronald, uh, before we get into kind of your story and stuff, the
1: first question I ask everybody is what does barbecue mean to you? Barbecue means nothing. Barbecue. I scoff at that word. <laughs> I do fire roasted, man. Well, that's uh, I've got a wood grill. Yep. I've got a, it's got a swivel, and uh, I roast the wood. I'm a caveman.
0: Yeah, we were just uh, enjoying some uh, ooh
1: barbecue. Aren't we fancy? <laughs> some meatballs over the fire there, uh, direct grills. It's a great yeah. and wonderful thing, man. Absolutely. This uh, so, is you know talk about yourself. You, this is where you kind of grew up. Yep, I've been here for about 300 years. 300. Like yep. <laughs> I know I don't look a day over 299. I moisturize. <laughs> well done. Yeah, now it's a family farm that goes back uh, before Confederation and um, farmers, boat builders before that. Yeah, you're tired. About the the boat building. uh, Anything for a buck. Yeah, nice. Been here forever. Yeah, awesome. Originally got booted out of Scotland. All the king's horses and all the king's men wanted our land. Yeah. So, the King's Army and stuff, the Highlanders, If you, they shot everybody that was any good. Okay. And all the mentally feeble and the infirmed and the women and children got sent over here. Well,
0: what part of Scotland uh, do you
1: know? Above Loch Lomond. Okay. There's a name for it. I kind of forget what it is. It's been a while.
0: I know our family, the
1: Sanderson's, came from uh, Dumfrieshire around Glasgow. But yes, they did. Yeah. yeah no, we're above Loch Lomond. And, uh, one of my cousins was here this summer. She told me the name of it, but I kind of forget. Okay. I got to get back there. Yeah, that's on my uh, on my list one of these days no. to go uh, get. We'll there. go on a bender and we'll get travel. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so tell me
0: about the uh, the farm here. You've got uh, a few different things on the go with uh,
1: Well, it's uh, we're a small farmer comparatively to the North American standard, mm-hmm. but um, the original farm was 100 acres. Mm-hmm. And I farm about 160 acres with everything that's owned, rented, begged, borrowed, and stolen. So in PEI terms, it's a small farm, but okay. in world terms, it's not a small farm. It's, it's a decent-sized farm. Yep. I'm a dairy farmer, and then the pig hobby farm thing just evolved. It came out of necessity. I want a good pork instead of the stuff you buy in the store. Mm-hmm. And right to this day, I stand by that. I mean, the free-range pork is fantastic pork. It's not certified organic. I have never been certified organic and that has been fine with me. Certified sort of organic is for people that you don't trust the food, and you don't know where it's coming from, and there's no way for you to find out. Yep. But I have people, I had a friend from Toronto that swears by my product, and he went back to Toronto with my product, with his, and he landed here with his girlfriend. She was a lawyer. hmm And um, from Toronto, and she rolled her eyes. Yeah, yeah, I get it. You're quaint. And they left with this box of pork and went back to Toronto, and this guy said... This is the world's best pork. Mm-hmm. It's the only pork you got to know your pig. Mm-hmm. And the same girl landed in a year later at the farmer's market, and she walked out, walked up to me, and she said, You bastard. And I was like, Huh? And she said, I thought you were full of crap. Okay. She said, We used your pork, and it was great pork. And then my thing was, every weekend I would go to the big box store and buy a roast of pork. And Mom and dad, Dad's favorite supper is pork supper, and every Saturday I made a roast of pork. So when we ran out of your pork, I went to the big store, the box store, and I got a regular pork roast like I always did. Mm -hmm. And then I went to do laundry, and I came back, and the whole apartment smelled like crap. And we couldn't figure it out. Was it the toilet? Was it this? Was it that? And then she and the man opened up the oven, and they could smell it. And they both took a fork, and they bit into the pork roast. And they both looked at each other and said, we can taste the fear. (laughs) (laughs) Not your everyday factory free-range pork is way better pork. The pigs that are well-adjusted life, and the meat is just plainly better. So this lawyer girl from Toronto was extremely mad at me, because she said, so here I am. You ruined her. I had to find out where the farmer's market was. And then I had to go down to the farmer's market and find out who the pig farmer was. And I'm an adult. And I had to ask this man, are your pigs happy? <laughs> She was not happy. Oh, well, you know, but now she knows, right? But now she knows the difference. I mean, yeah. if you don't know, you don't know. But I mean, a lot of the stuff in the stores—if you don't know your own pig, yeah. you have to have a guy. You have to have—you have to know that this pig had some culture mm-hmm. and some good times in this life, or it's not going to taste that good. Yep. It was er- early on when I started doing this
0: podcast, probably three years ago, three and a half years ago. Went out to uh, a farm just north of Calgary, pasture-raised, free-range. And we got got some of their meat after, and I remember cooking the bacon. And it was
1: whatever. Yeah, I said this is what bacon should taste like. It, I had never hadn't ever tasted bacon like that. Filipinos buy pigs off me, and they want my chickens. Like Filipinos, everything grows up in their backyard, and everyone in the Philippines they have a. wonderful culture of food and 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 their culture to us it's backwards i mean they still raise their own pigs they still raise their own chickens but they have a fantastic food what we consider backwards and well i mean Mm -hmm. we get all our food from the from the big box store big box store food to them tastes like crap and they come to me because they know the difference Back in the old days, everybody had a guy. Every fall in PEI, we had a wonderful tradition. You had a guy for your beef, you had a guy for your pork, you had a guy for your fish. Before the big box stores, everybody had a guy. Yeah. And the food was better. Yeah. Now, to a very limited part of the population, my lovely assistant and I, we're your guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but you've got to be in the top 4% or I can't help you. Yeah. Sorry. It's going to cost you. Yeah. Yeah. It's only Yeah. It's a, things have changed and, yeah, not, not for the
0: better not for
1: the better I don't think but the more they change I mean uh, there's opportunity here sure I have like now I mean I have like the the arrangement I have with the guy that does my butchering for me and um, does my meat cutting for me I mean the guy and I agree I mean I get the top 4% he gets the middle of the road people I mean there are a lot of people that they just want cheap and then there's the bottom 25% in that have to do the grocery shopping at the dollar store because sure. they have to sure And, I mean, I can't help them. But there is those people that want something better. And, and, I mean, there's the environmentally allergic that have to know it's in their food. There are the affluent people that want something that tastes better because they can afford it. Mm -hmm. There are the greenies that want to save the world, so they want free range if they eat meat at all. Mm -hmm. And then there's just the the ethical people that uh, they just want to know that the animal was ethically treated. You know? And, I mean, you're only going to get 4%, -hmm. and... When you look at these trade magazines where guys have farmer's markets and all this especially mm-hmm. crafted meat, and these stores do, do so well, it's because they're in their Tri-City area. Yeah. Well, my Tri-City area is... Uh... Uh... Help me out here. <laughs> Summerside. Summerside, yeah. Uh... <laughs> That's about it. That's it, yeah. Um, Main Street, Summerside, where that farmer's market is, is one of the poorest postal codes in PEI. One of the poorest postal codes in Canada. Really? Because of the population and the and the and the, right where that farmer's market is. Yeah. I been told by a deputy minister, he said, you're wasting your time there. It's one of the poorest postal codes in Canada. Hmm. And I said, yeah, but if I'm not there, who's going to be? Yeah. So people come in, and I do great business there, and I mean... I, if I'm not there on Main Street doing something for people, and who the hell will? Yep. Yep. So. So there you are. I've got a very good product. Yep. Is there any money in it? Not really. But I'm doing the right thing. I'm good. Yep. Income tax isn't a problem. There you
0: go. So you got the pork doing that, dairy farm as well. Yep. And then. Chickens, I see. Is that just Well, Those are chickens, my or? those are
1: my wife's chickens. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> there's a little bit of egg money. My daughter has uh, beef and chickens, and um, she does free range eggs. And there's a huge. She's kind of got her own oh, farm. Yeah. And there's she, there's huge potential in that. Like she can't keep ahead of the free range egg thing, and she gets five dollars a dozen for her free range eggs. Yeah, I've got a friend in Calgary who sells them for seven. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, like there's real markup on yeah. that. Yeah. And the truth okay. is, the free range eggs are cheaper because. Eating grass and bugs and living a healthier life. Now lower. Yep. And really and truly, I mean, she's making good money on free range eggs. Yep. And she's got her own beef and she's got her own things on the go. And yep. the apple didn't fall far from the tree. My daughter knows how to make money. Yep, perfect.
0: With Fernwood PEI's Pleasant Pork coming up after this, including an interesting story of what his ancestors did for work after they settled on the island over 200 years ago. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Township 27. Township 27 develops, produces, distributes, and sells the highest quality pantry spices, herbs, spice blends, sauces, salad, dressings, and condiments for people who love food. All of their products are produced by hand in small batches using only the highest quality ingredients to maintain the full flavor and freshness that their customers have come to expect. Township 27 has searched the globe looking for the finest ingredients to go into their products and they are excited to share the bounty with you. All Township 27 products are gluten-free, cholesterol-free, MSG-free and are pure with no added fillers or preservatives. Township 27 is proudly Alberta-owned and produce all of their products locally right in Rocky View County, Alberta. If you're looking for the best in spices, blends, sauces and condiments, whether it be retail, wholesale or bulk, Check them out at www.township27.com and follow them on Instagram and Facebook. Talk about what life on the farm is for you here, I guess. What's uh, what's a typical day for you, or is there a typical day?
1: Well, days are not usually typical. The typical day is get up at 6 o'clock, work like a dog until 10 o'clock at night, and when everything goes well, I don't really mention it to people. <laughs> when stuff goes sideways, I complain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a real job once, and um, the shop foreman was a horse's ass, and he he wasn't happy unless he was making someone else miserable, and one day he told me I was unemployable. And I looked at him and said, you know what, you're right, I'm unemployable, if it means I have to work for you. Yeah. And... Every kid should get the hell out of the farm for a while and get out in the field and see what the real world is like and I mean I did what I did and then I came home, working with my old man wasn't so bad after that. Yeah. So your dad had the farm before you? My father had the farm and my grandfather before him and my great grandfather bought the farm from my great great cousin Johnny Malcolm McFarlane. Okay. My great grandfather was a kingpin in the potato business yeah. okay. 150 years ago. Yeah. And um the farm has always been here. It's been mm-hmm. up and down. It was a Fox Ranch at one point and hugely successful and then the heirs fell out of that and I mean it's it's had ups and downs. Lots of changes over. Lots the of changes yeah. over the years. Yep. Yeah. Lots of evolution and now when I was born in 67 there was a dozen farms, 14 farms in Fernwood. Mm-hmm. Now I'm the last guy left. Well. Wow. And all the, the the oil company and their contractors have all the land in Fernwood now. And I'm fine with that. Yep. They can they do their thing, and I do my thing.
0: Yep. It's kind of a dying,
1: uh, bit of a dying breed. Then. Well, my happy little plan is someday I'll die, and I'll leave all this land in a land trust for kids that want to farm. Yeah. But I always encourage kids to get started. Like um, I'll give away a free cow or a free pig. Okay. There are there are farmers out there who have children that don't know what they're gonna do, and I mean, hey, if I can get like I have a neighbor up the road that started a farm, I gave him. Two bull calves, and then I gave him a pregnant pig, and um, the, so the boys could start into the pig business. And uh, I dropped off a rooster. <laughs> and then um, the mother was quite mad at me because she <laughs> said she came storming out of there. And she said, "I don't like you. Every time you come here, there's a new animal." More animals. Yeah. Anyway, but um, I will encourage these kids to try it, to do it. I think the most telling thing in the world, if you go to the United Nations. Food Council, Food Sector, Food Department of the UN, they will tell you that 90% of the food in the world is produced by people with 5 acres or less. Hmm. All this plantation agriculture, the oil companies, the land grabbing, the Chinese, the Saudis, it's all an anomaly. The real true producers of food in the world are the guys with five acres, St. Lucia, Japan, all these little farmers, these micro-farmers, are really and truly feeding the world. Right? So I, I tell people, well, when people say I'm a hobby farmer, no, no, my daughter says that. And I said you're not a hobby farmer. When you're throwing good money after bad and, uh, and you've got animals and the only reward is getting bitten or crapped on or something like that, you're, it's not a hobby. No. You're farming. Yep. I mean... It might be small, but it's not a hobby. When there's no real expectation of income, well, the big boys do. Yeah. And if we couldn't eat them, where would we be in trouble? And I mean, I think necessity will eventually bring a lot of small farmers. Because yeah. we have to. Yeah. Not because we want to. It's, it's, I've seen it in Alberta
0: more recently where there are those smaller operations coming up. Yep.
1: Doing it free-range, the pasture. Range. Yep doing it a little differently, right? Uh, With the beef, the grass-fed. Well, I'm in the National Farmers Union, and we do things a lot differently in the National Farmers Union. We don't buy into the mantra of bigger or bigger is better and all that bullshit. I'll bet what you've noticed is, when you think about these micro-farms, these small farms, these new farms, what percentage of that is female? Um, not, well, there's
0: one I can think of that's exclusively, but it's the ones, the other ones I know of, are, are husband
1: and wife, and the women are quite noticeable. Oh, absolutely, they're involved. Where if so you go to the potato farmer conventions or the grain growers association or whatever, how many women go to that? Couldn't tell you. But I None, guess in, uh, guessing. Yeah. But if you go through Africa, where agriculture has really been a subsistence thing the whole time, who are the in in Africa? Most of the women do all the farming, while well, the men don't really do a whole heck of a lot. Right. They're busy going to war politics or whatever right Mm -hmm. but what you will find is what I find the national farm regime is a lot of these small farms BC the Mm market gardeners or whatever the the women are pretty well the dominant force there because they've got that nuturing side we've the industrialization has came and went Mm -hmm. and now we're back into the cycle. right and I'm finding a lot of progressive Mm -hmm. business minded people end up being not the guys Mm -hmm. Well, it's just, uh, I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, it's something I've noticed, I mean, I mean, when it comes to neutral it's how it's become. I mean, in, in Africa, and from B.C. especially, I mean, you know, it's farming, you yeah. uh, like women have their own farms, and when, it, when it's a five-acre farm, it's it's the women. When it's yeah. a 50,000-acre farm, it's the man, mm-hmm. you know. white Old white guys drive tractors. Yeah. Women are gardeners. Yeah. Interesting, yeah, interesting, that, you know? that trend. It is. It's uh, and I hope it's a trend that just completely takes over. I mean,
0: Get
1: some company there. Yeah, the background commentary. Yeah.
0: I, I think it's, it's it's
1: neat being here, and you've, as you can hear, folks, uh, animals just kind of wandering free and. Uh, yeah, totally free range. Just not yeah. neglect at all. No, no. <laughs> I understand you uh, you lost some fencing in the the hurricane a few yeah, weeks. Yeah, let's blame the hurricane for this disorganization. <laughs> yes, bad hurricane. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, uh, of course Fiona blew through here a few weeks ago. Yeah.
0: You lost some trees. Well, time.
1: we I lost trees and fences, and I mean I'm a huge believer in planting trees. Ryan, I've been planting trees since I was a kid, and I'm surprised the extent of the damage, like even young trees that yeah. were destroyed. But there's damn all we can do about it. I mean, I'll plant more trees. Yep. I'm planting a big woods down here on the east side because when I lose this to the environment I'm going to lose on the eastern front yep. now the last big blow we had from Fiona was northwest which surprised me we never get 140k from northwest okay. kind of and, and, and it blew in some doors and it blew down a lot of trees and like we've never had that wind direction that bad before no. okay so the climate is changing I'm yeah. the world is going to hell I'm just doing my best to not make things worse yep. Take care of your little corner of it. And, and not make things worse. Yep, yep. Anyway, it's, yep. um, a lot of people blame ruminants and cattle and agriculture for global warming. And that's not the culprit. The culprit is when you take all the cattle and everything and you put them in barns. And, and there's a lot of electricity and diesel and, like, cement and all this, Putting all these animals in barns is what's yeah. driving up the carbon footprint on meat. Yes. Yeah. yeah, the free range. If you really, if you really want to get into the green party person, you can point out the fact that before, when the first wave of immigrants came across the Bering Strait, the first people came to North America. There were billions of ruminants here. There was a caribou herd the size of PEI. There was three types of bison, ten types of deer, the caribou, the elk, the moose, the everything. Mm-hmm. All these ruminants going around burping, pissing, shitting, farting. Yep billions of ruminants but we've taken all the wild ruminants and eliminated them and we've replaced them with ruminants and burns mm-hmm. therein lies the problem yeah. now if we put everything back out in the grassland where the nitrogen cycle gets back to nature and there's no artificially produced nitrogen there's no diesel involved in hauling manure and feeding the animals mm-hmm. if you get into the sustainable and there is sustainable meat yeah, absolutely. you know absolutely but you got to know your meat yeah and um, David Suzuki and I get into it over that once, and he preaches vegetarianism. I preach know your meat. Yeah. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, regenerative farming. Regenerative, absolutely. Yeah, sustainable. Nitrogen capture. Um, it, it, all, it all makes complete and total sense when you when you when you think back to the '30s when we get into the business of burning fossil fuels. That's when efficiency and the efficiency of keeping animals and burns and stuff like that came along. And I mean, we've we've de-evolved as far as I'm concerned, but. Yeah. We've been striving to make stuff cheaper. cheaper, and I'm sorry. More of it and cheaper. More of it and cheaper, and, and the the costs have been environmental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that's why yeah. I use well, I use a wood grill. I mean, I scoff at people that use propane. I mean, you're killing the planet, you know. Sorry, yeah. but, yeah. you know. <laughs> I know Hank Hill will be mortified. But. <laughs> Hank Hill, yeah. yeah. So, um... Looking and you, you talked about the, the the boat barn here that took some damage. You were telling me the story about the boat barn before. Well, and 300 years ago, yes. my old barn used to be a boat shed down there in the sand dunes. Mm-hmm. And when the Irish fell out of boat building, they moved it up here. Yeah, but it was built by boat builders. It's got dog legs and mortises, and it's built so solid it never moved an inch during the big hurricane. So how did it get moved here? They put it on. They cut it in half okay. cut it in two sections, and they put it on skids, and yeah. they use what's called a capsin, yeah. where they put a post in the ground and they use a horse with a lever okay. and a rope, and it pulls the skids. So they yeah. pull the skids, okay. the barn moves so far. And then they dig another hole, redo it, and redo it. And yeah. Redo it. I probably took all of summer to I get one. Say that would have been a process. I yeah, yeah. At, uh, it would take a while. No doubt, because it's a not. But, not, back not the, barn. but back in the old days, I mean, the old guys knew how to move stuff and they knew how to build stuff. Yeah
0: yeah so you're just to go back you're talking about the boat business
1: the boat building business and how that worked i thought it was fascinating with the oak and maybe kind of tell that story well that um that used to be the boat shed and and my family were boat builders 300 years ago and they would build cut down the red oak and they would build boats And then they would fill the boats full of dimension lumber, and then in the spring they would cast the boats into the water, out of the building, put up the masts and the rigging, and then they would take those boats to England, and it was called ship breaking, like those boats made of red oak. Mm -hmm. They would auction the boats off, the furniture builders and the wood suppliers would get a hold of those boats, break them down, and make them into furniture, wood, and stuff like that. But that that was how you got the wood to England, was you made it into a boat. And filled it up with more wood. Filled it with more wood took it over there, yeah. and then if people didn't want the actual boat, they would buy the boat just to break it down and use it for the wood. Fascinating. They used, they were rough boats, they were extra thick planks, and yeah. extra thick everything, because the wood would get reused. Yeah, you didn't, weren't worried about it, right? No, yeah. it like just a had to trip. get there. One trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, that's fascinating. Tried things. Uh, well, yeah. but there's a lot of history in the Maritimes that goes back way, 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 way back, and I mean, if you don't know, you don't know, but yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's amazing how many kids don't know their own histories. So, Ranald, what, uh,
0: what's uh, down the road for you here? What do you see the, the farm becoming?
1: October 5, 2027, 20, I, I retire. I'm 60, and that's it. I'm done. Okay. I will do what I want to do, go where I want to go. It's great to be able to work past 60, but I'm not going to have to. Yep. I'll become the old man on the porch. I've got two boys that are somewhat useless. If they decide to be farmers, that's great. And if not, I'll just give this farm, I'll put it in the land trust, and some other kids can farm with it. Nice. But my kids are not going to sell it to the oil company and party till the money's gone. Yeah. It'll be in a land trust, and if kids want to use it, if somebody wants to start up a meat shop or milk cows or whatever. If nobody wants to milk cows, I'll get rid of the milk cows. Yeah. But, I mean, but um, anyway, I don't need money. Yeah. Money has no value to me. I have my own little cashless economy, and... When I turn 60, I will have pretty well worked myself to death by then, and why work anymore? There There are some people that have to work until they die. Mm -hmm. I will not be one of them. Anyway, my only thing I have to do now is build a great big machine shed to put all my John Deere toys and all the tools and equipment away in, and, and... so all that stuff is there for if I want to use it or the yeah. kids wanna use it or something and when everything's all packed away and preserved then I can go sailing or golfing or whatever yeah. I want to do. Whatever it's there. Yep. Yeah. I hear is nice. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah.
0: Now uh, the grains and stuff you grow, is that just for your own? Like you see the you got some corn here. Yeah,
1: now the well that's just for your own use. The cornfield is for the pigs. The yeah. we'll fence that off and the pigs will live in the cornfield and need all the corn. Right. And then yeah, we grow all our own corn and grain we try to i buy a lot of feed grain too i grow all my own hay all my own silage and i sell a lot of hay because like i've got a few special people in my life that need horse hay and i look after them and horse hay is cash horse people are crazy about spending money on their horses so you know i don't mind making a little horse hay for them yeah So primarily you're just growing crops for your own? For the cows, yeah. There's a lot of pasture and um, and pasture and grass and the cows just basically look after themselves and all summer I rotate the pastures and yep. cheap feed. Cows are happy. Awesome. Anyway we do a little bit of grain and a little bit of straw. And it's, it takes a surprising amount of critical mass to run a little farm even if you're, if you're, I'm only milking about 18 cows and yep. less than 100 pigs, and it's surprising, the grain and the straw and everything you go through. Yeah, I
0: mean, uh, yeah.
1: Hmm. It's just... Um, That's what they do, right?
0: They
1: just eat. If they eat. Yep. Yeah, but um, we burn surprisingly yep. little diesel, like when you pasture your cows, and then, like, for the little bit, bit amount of stuff we do, I mean, we don't burn a lot of fuel. Yep. I mean, the tractors, there's one tractor works every day, but for the most part, there's very little yep. intensive cropping going on mostly the cows just chew the grass off and we make one cutting of hay and combine some grain that's it spread a little manure yep awesome yep Uh, you mentioned you were on twitter do you want to put your twitter uh, oh sure you can look me up at pleasant pork at pleasant pork all right put that up there yeah give me a follow if there's any old fossils out there that are on twitter excellent uh the last question i
0: i ask everybody and uh you got your fire pit here with the cooking grate over it What's uh, uh, kind of your go-to, uh, your
1: go-to dinner there when you got the fire going Flat fire roasted meatballs my friend Is that the yeah. that's the one that's the one that's my go-to if you haven't had wood-fired fire roasted meatballs you haven't lived no, uh, although we great. do make a fantastic hot dog too yeah, well, like, yeah. we have our own hot dogs and they okay. are they are the world's best hot dog there you go and oh. when i have people over Yep. Every Saturday night, we have get, it's free, people come over, yep. and I just generally roast everything I didn't sell that day. Yep. You know, if we've got leftover chorizos, or leftover hot dogs, or leftover yep. whatever, and and the meatballs are a big hit. Yep. They're easy. Yeah. Well, they're fantastic. They're fantastic. Yeah. No, uh, no nope, I bet. <laughs> Ronald, thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate uh, spending some time with us today. Well, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Very good. All right. You are listening to Canada's longest-running barbecue podcast, and it it is time now for some barbecue news brought to you by the Barrel Boss Q, a family-owned and operated small business in Leduc County, Alberta, and the manufacturer of the original Canadian drum smoker. Whether it's in the backyard or on the competition circuit, Kelly Troy and the Barrel Boss Q team are driven by the desire to watch their clients showcase their cooking talents to slow down a bit and spend some quality time with family and friends. From entry level all the way to fully loaded models, Barrel Boss Q has the charcoal drum smokers and accessories you need to be the barbecue boss of your block or maybe get a walk at the next competition. Shipping to customers across Canada and the U.S., Barrel Boss Q spends time talking to their clients to make sure each and every smoker they make is special and meets the needs of the customer. Barrel Boss Q is honored to be a part of their customers' barbecue journeys. You can follow them on Facebook and Instagram and visit them online at barrelbossq.ca. That's barrelboss, the letter Q.ca to see the whole lineup and tell them you heard about them on the Eat More Barbecue podcast. I mentioned the American Royal last week and the great results some of our Canadian friends had at that event and also down in Mexico at the Monterrey Bar- Bar- Barbecue Festival, but I didn't mention the amazing accomplishment. By the QU team at the Royal, doubling up and winning both the Invitational and Open competitions, what an amazing uh, accomplishment! Uh, 250 teams in the individual, in the Invitational, over 500 teams in the Open. To be on your game uh, that dialed in two days in a row is truly amazing. This was uh, the first time that's ever happened, and yeah, like I said, truly amazing. I'm working on scheduling an interview with Grant from QU, and hope to have that for you maybe next week if we can get everything. This weekend, October 14th and 15th, in Lynchburg, Tennessee, it's the Jack Daniels Invitational Barbecue. And then November 11th through 13th in Gadsden, Alabama, it's the World, the KCBS World Invitational Barbecue Contest. We have some Canadian teams setting sell for both of those, so we'll be keeping an eye to see how everyone did. I mentioned in the opening that I've been out in Prince Edward Island this week, noticing there isn't a ton of barbecue out here uh, that I've been able to find, but I'm sure that will change with time. Some time. Summerside does have a barbecue food truck that unfortunately was closed for the season while I was here, but we are going to be setting up a Zoom interview uh, with them and bring you their story sometime soon. It was Canadian Thanksgiving this past weekend, and it was awesome to see all of the grilled and smoked turkeys everyone was cooking. Since I was traveling, we'll be doing our bird this coming weekend, so keep your eyes peeled on the Eat More Barbecue Instagram at eat underscore more underscore barbecue with a C to follow along. I'm always looking for guest ideas for the show so email me at eatmorebarbecue at gmail.com if there's someone you'd like to hear from you can find me online at www.eatmorebarbecue.ca and also at www.albertabbqtrail.ca you can check out the listing of barbecue restaurants here in Alberta and then get on out there and show them your support if you're not in Alberta get out to your local barbecue joint and give them some love thanks to Alan Horbin for the great music on this and every episode of the eat more barbecue podcast that's a wrap everybody See y'all next weekend. Keep on smoking.